We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for subscription stories, true tales from the trenches. CrossFit CEO Eric Rosa has an interesting background, which brings together two separate threads, an entrepreneurial streak and a love for health. A successful tech executive who sold his company, Data Logics, to Oracle in 2014 for $1.2 billion and continued at Oracle for another five years, Eric has also been a lifelong fitness nut. His enthusiasm for the CrossFit lifestyle eventually led him to open a CrossFit gym, CrossFit Sanitas in Boulder, Colorado, where he lives, even as he continued his day job at Data Logics and then Oracle. In mid-2020, about a year after retiring from Oracle, Eric bought CrossFit Inc. from CrossFit founder and former CEO, Greg Glassman. The sale was first announced on June 24th, 2020, just a few weeks after Glassman had resigned as CEO amidst a swirl of controversy. Eric took over as CEO at a critical time for a membership organization known for its cult-like following and devoted members. He brings tremendous experience and passion to CrossFit. I invited Eric to the show because I've been fascinated by CrossFit since my sister and brother-in-law discovered it in 2010. I wrote about how CrossFit develops super users, members so committed and passionate that they spend their own money and time for the good of the brand in my first book, The Membership Economy. When I heard that my business school classmate and friend was taking over CrossFit after such a successful career in technology and during such a tumultuous time, I had a million questions. Today, Eric and I are going to talk about how to write a membership culture after a crisis, walking that fine line of rebuilding the organization while not losing what had made it great, and bringing together a broad group of stakeholders around a new forever promise. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks for having me, Robbie. So can you describe your journey to CrossFit? I know you first discovered CrossFit in 2008, but how did you come to be the owner of CrossFit writ large? I started doing CrossFit as it's called CrossFit in 2008. But if if I look back, I probably was doing something that looked like CrossFit and I could even tell you what the workout was and so on in about 1978 with some buddies. And so I always, once I found CrossFit, I'm like, oh my God, where has this been my whole life? And it had so many elements of things that I've always been drawn towards, whether it was the high intensity, the variety, the community. And then you know, not long after discovering it, I got this crazy idea into my head. In fact, before we opened CrossFit Sanitas, that if I could do anything with my life for the rest of my life after Data Logics, it would be leading CrossFit someday. Wow, that's awesome. So my sister and brother-in-law are devoted members of their CrossFit Palo Alto box. I've been there. Oh, yeah. Long time ago. Yeah. It's such a huge part of their life. You know, they have really great friends there. It's a big part of their social life. And of course, the CrossFit workouts have been core to everything they do, including when we go on vacation. What do you think it is about CrossFit that makes members so committed, passionate, 
loyal? Well, I will answer that, but I'm going to ask you a question first, Robbie. Have they ever tempted you to go in there with them? It felt very intense. The zeal with which they joined was intimidating to me. Yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's important for me, and I appreciate you sharing that, to learn about both what attracted people to CrossFit and what actually made them, kept them from trying it. We're launching, I'm really excited about it. We're launching at the end of this month, actually, a, at the end of January, our first kind of attempt to bridge that gap and reach people like you who maybe were intrigued and saw some great results and passion with family members, but didn't feel it was like a safe place for you yet, or you weren't ready yet. And so it's, this is, we're launching this great new product called the CrossFit OnRamp that brings CrossFit into people's living room with no equipment needed to learn how to do it. We think going to the gym is the way to, that's where you really get the power, but this lets you kind of get your legs under you and and learn some skills and build the confidence and, and see whether this is something you might like to try. Anyway, we'll, we'll see if something like that you know, brings you to the fold. I always found, by the way, for every 10 people that I would try to get involved in CrossFit amongst my friends, maybe one of them would do it. I always found that, right? It's, you know, at, at our age and all that, right? It's too intense. It's too extreme. It's too this. It's too that. So my thought was, wow, if we can reach out outside of the box, outside of the gym and get to one more of those 10 people, that's going to be another million plus people a year try and CrossFit. And I think more than half of them will find, wow, this is pretty friggin' cool <laughs> now that I know it. So anyway, we'll see. Well, it's really interesting because one of the things that I wrote about CrossFit and that fascinated me about CrossFit is that it didn't feel particularly welcoming to everybody. And in my work on membership, I think that for a lot of organizations, that's the secret sauce is to really know who you serve well and not make it easy for the wrong people to come in. So to say, you know, this is what we do. This is how we do it. If this seems like a good fit for you and a promise that makes sense and is valuable to you, come in and we know we can, you know, knock the ball out of the park. And if you're somebody different, if this isn't for you, that's okay too, but we don't want to mislead you. And I think that's been a real part of of CrossFit's success up to this point. And I think it's really interesting that you're looking at how do you just loosen that a little bit? How do you expand the audience? Because it isn't necessarily for everyone. It's very challenging and they require a big commitment. So I wonder, as you think about rolling out this new offering, kind of finding that perfect balance between opening things up a little bit to bring in more people and to make people like me less intimidated And at the same time, making sure that people know what they're getting into, that this is going to be life-changing. It's going to make them incredibly fit. They're going to find a real community, but you have to be ready to work hard. You nailed it, right? So there's, we actually were just going through some of our marketing materials and packaging um, right before this podcast, actually. And the two things we talked about is we are not going to sugarcoat that this is going to feel like high intensity for where you are. Not high intensity by the standards of a world-class athlete, but CrossFit meets you where you are, and it's going to play that edge in a way that maybe you haven't played, and that's where the magic happens. And secondly, you're going to learn a lot of new skills, and it's going to be uncomfortable, some of the movements, right? Those two things can't be sugarcoated in our messaging. So I think you're right on there. The interesting thing on your first point, and it's what makes CrossFit so fascinating intellectually is that when we say it's not for everyone, that's absolutely true, right? The highest end estimate I would have is 10 million people around the world doing something that is very recognizable as CrossFit, albeit not necessarily in one of our gyms. And that's 10 million out of 
7.5 billion people. So it's a small group of people now relative to the world's population. What's interesting is when you break that apart, they're in we have gyms in 155 countries. So I would bet there might be in 200 countries that there are people doing CrossFit. There are credentialed CrossFit trainers in 100 countries, right? Or actually 150 countries because there has to be one everywhere we have a gym. You know, we've done a feature on a 96-year-old who discovered CrossFit at 94, right? There are five-year-olds doing CrossFit. You can find plenty of TikTok and Instagram videos of that. There are people who are 300 pounds overweight doing CrossFit. There are people without limbs doing CrossFit. So the interesting thing is it's hard to stereotype. Yes, this is a relatively small subset of the world, but it's hard to stereotype exactly what that subset is. And I think what we're trying to broaden the understanding of is you don't have to be fit to do this. You don't have to feel like you're fit to do this. You don't have to get ready to do CrossFit. CrossFit at its best, which we're not always at, meets you exactly where you are. And it really doesn't matter what your level of conditioning is, what your orthopedic issues are, what your state of metabolic health is, etc. When we get it right, we can meet you anywhere. But it does take a certain person to be ready to say, I'm going to push the edge of my intensity and I'm going to have the humility to not try to keep up with the person next to me if that's not the right thing to do. And our part in this is both the messaging to invite you in and make sure that, but also then to be at our best more often so that the actual environment that you're in is representing what I said. And one of the challenges, you know, with the the model that we have right now, which is well over 10,000 gyms around the world who have largely forged their own path is that the experience of members can be different in different gyms. And so what we're trying to do is walk the line because we really value the autonomy and the independence and the funky, crazy creativity of each individual gym and operator. But we also believe that CrossFit as a core stands for being inclusive. It, it stands for being a place where everyone's welcome. It's really interesting. Sometimes I think about, you know, on the journey to membership for different organizations, it's important to kind of look for where are your challenges and opportunities and where are your strengths. And I sometimes liken membership to being like a party, right? And so if there's a party going on at someone's house, like you walk by it all the time, this house, and you don't even know there's a party going on inside or, you know, at some restaurant or bar. So if you don't even know that there's a party going on in there, that's a communications problem, right? Who knew there was a party in my neighborhood? And then the next thing is, do you think that it's a party for you? Well, like I, I looked in the windows and those didn't look like my people. So I just kept going. And that could be true. And it could not be true, right? It could be that I just got the wrong idea by looking in the window. And then there are kind of the deeper challenges that a, that a membership has, which is I came in and I didn't feel welcome. And I realized that I decided it wasn't for me. And that could be true, or it could just be a bad onboarding experience. And then it, once I'm in the party, do I want to stay? Is it fun? Is it what, yeah. what was promised? And it sounds like what you're talking about is sort of at that looking in the window area. And I would go further, Robbie, which is if you leave the party for whatever reason, do we have an appropriate way of inviting you back at the right time, right? Because yeah. in some cases, you left the party for good. In other cases, it could have had something nothing to do with us. We've had in the eight years our gym has been open, and this happened with a friend of mine who joined early on. She was really loving it and then was playing softball and I think screwed up her knee or something, twisted her knee and you know, effectively never came back. And so that was like someone loses their job or moves away or is going through some marital trauma or whatever. 
how do you invite people back again? So it's this full, full life cycle and journey and let them know that it's okay if you're taking a pause. There's no judgment there. And if you have to come back and step back a little bit, I do, I deal with that myself. You know, it was away for three out of four weeks recently. And I felt going back to the gym, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so down on myself for my performance in there. And then you get to play with your own ego and go, is that really what this is all about? You know? No, it's really interesting. And that question of win backs is very popular right now in a lot of memberships is this concept of a pause button and then no judgment pause button, right? right? You don't lose your status. You don't lose your place. In some cases, you don't lose your pricing or whatever you know deal you had. But this idea being that we as an organization recognize that there are a lot of legitimate reasons that might cause you to take a break. Yeah. Can you describe what CrossFit is and what a typical workout is like? So the way I would describe a CrossFit workout, Robbie, is you come into the gym and there's a coach there and you have a class. It's a group of people. It might be two or three people. In some places, it's you alone. Sometimes it might be 20 or 30 when we're outside of COVID. So, And I guess there could even be classes bigger than 30. That's about as big as I've ever seen. And the coach is going to go around and make kind of sometimes make sure everybody knows each other and then is going to explain there's a whiteboard and the coach is going to explain what the workout is. And what's really interesting about this is every day the workout's different. And what you can count on is there's a little phrase we talk about with, which is constantly varied movements that are executed at high intensity and are functional. So what does that mean? So constantly varied, they're always different and you could have two or three of them thrown together. You want to be at a a fairly high intensity. I wouldn't say we always work out at high intensity, but we often do. And it tends to be much shorter than a workout that you're used to if you're going for an hour long run or something. And then we say functional, it's usually involving the whole body. So you won't see in CrossFit, oh, today's a biceps day, right? Or today's a calf raise day. We're really trying to do movements that will help you in everyday life, getting off of the floor, reaching up overhead, things like that, that will apply more broadly. And then the other thing is that CrossFit is the term we use is infinitely scalable, meaning that whether you're the most fit person on the planet, or this is your first time off the couch in three years, our coaches are trained to be able to meet you exactly where you are. And in partnership with you, play that edge so that the definition of intensity is very much subjective to what you're feeling, not what somebody else's opinion is, or not what the person next to you is doing. And I love that about CrossFit when I started doing it was just the range in people that were in there. And you know, a few years ago, my mom died a few years ago, but she started doing CrossFit at the age of 75, four years ago. And it was the best thing in her life, along with her grandkids in her last two years on the planet. And it wow. was, and she texted me about three months after joining and said, I just deadlifted a hundred pounds. And, you know, wow. there's not a lot, you know, let's face <laughs> it. Traditionally, I didn't know what a deadlift was when I started crossfitting, but like there sh- probably aren't a lot of 75 year old women out there, right. Who are grandmas of four who are being introduced to something at the age of 75 and then so excited about it that they're kind of bragging to their son and to co-celebrate. And, you know, it brought tears to my eyes and it almost does now to think about that. And so it's really cool. So when you say, what do you do in CrossFit? The answer is some pretty crazy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that image of your 
your mom, may her memory be a blessing of her deadlifting 100 pounds and then calling you and, and bragging. Oh, um, so cool. And, and one, you know, one time I walked into the gym and my mom was working out with my daughter who was nine at the time. And that was another one like, oh my God, this is legit. <laughs> like, this is crazy, <laughs> like nothing else. So I want to take a different a different tack for a minute. You owned a, a gym. You've been an active CrossFitter yourself. You've brought a lot of family members along with you and friends. But then, you know, in this past year, you bought CrossFit Inc. That's a hard thing, buying it from a founder in a difficult time. Can you tell me the story of how you got Greg Glassman, the founder and prior CEO, to sell the business to you and to trust you with his baby? I think it's a great story and I'd, I'd love for you to tell it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're back in June and I had moved on from Oracle, which was a company that acquired Datalogics. I'd spent five years there working there and with General Catalyst and doing boards and so on. And so I'm at home. I'm working about probably about 50% of my time and traveling and, you know, again, mostly doing investing in boards and so on. And pondering every day this question of, do I want to be an operator again or am I done? And there was part of me that said, I don't need to be an operator anymore. And there was part of me that said, I'm made to be an operator. But all these companies that I'm hearing about from headhunters and so on don't feel like what I want to be doing. And I was increasingly investing in and joining boards of companies that were focused on my twin themes of health and happiness. And I just, I wrote this personal manifesto when I left Oracle and said, the more time that I spend with people immersed in trying to make other people healthier and happier, the healthier and happier I get myself. It was just such an obvious equation to me and that I was wired for it. And so what happened, I'm sitting there, I'd say highly receptive to something bigger moving me in a certain direction, way down there buried was, I guess, was it's, you know this idea that, wow, if I could do anything from 10 years earlier, it would be to lead CrossFit. And then the Floyd 19 tweet comes out from Greg Glassman. The what tweet? I'm sorry. What, oh, the sorry. What tweet? So Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, sent out a tweet that kind of launched all this possibility for to reinvent CrossFit um, that traumatized the community, I think inadvertently, that said Floyd-19. And so it was kind of a conflation of everything that was going around George Floyd. We were right in this period in, in June and George Floyd's um, you know, death and um, all the circumstances around it and the upheaval in society and how a lot of us were feeling about that. And also the COVID-19 quarantine and so on. And I, don't, I still to this day don't know what Floyd-19 meant, but Greg tweeted that out. And immediately, people were very offended by that notion. And a lot of people said, we don't want to be part of CrossFit anymore. So within a few days, you had half of the top professional athletes in CrossFit boycotting the games. And you had, which is our annual or global competition to crown the fittest man and woman on earth. And then you had hundreds of gyms saying, we're not going to be affiliated gyms anymore. And so what happened then was I started to hear from some friends who knew that this was a lifelong dream of mine and associated me with CrossFit. I think three or four of them pinged me on text or LinkedIn and said, Hey, I keep thinking I'm going to open up my newsfeed and see that you bought CrossFit or, Hey, now's the time. Ha ha ha. And the first few, <laughs> I kind of said, ha 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 too. And then I think by the time the third one hit me, I was like, well, what are you waiting for? 
duh, you're sitting here <laughs> looking for more meaning in your life. You think you want to operate, but it doesn't look like an enterprise software company. Your focus is health and happiness. Go for yeah. it. And so this is the moment of what would you do if you're not afraid? And I was like, the answer is try to buy CrossFit <laughs> and try to lead it into the future. And so that was, that's the backstory and how it happened. And I was very fortunate to get introduced to Greg and get a chance to meet with him. Wasn't an easy thing to do. And he and I spent about 12 hours together in about a 24-hour period. And by the time we left, I was like, we didn't have a handshake yet, but I was like, wow, this is possible. And by the time I got home that night, I had kind of written up a um, basically a proposal that I'd already pitched him on verbally. And the next morning, we had a verbal handshake to, uh, to, get, it, to get it all done. And this was within about a week of the Floyd 19 tweet and the upheaval around the company. So it happened very quickly after a 10-year lag. The universe just was listening and dropped it in your lab. I mean, what a what kismet. Yeah, it was so fortunate. I've talked about it with the community as if I were ever someone who didn't believe in kind of metaphysical things and magic or fate or destiny, it's hard to argue that I found some real magic inside myself that allowed me to make the pitch of a lifetime to Greg that couldn't have been more heartfelt about why I was the right guy to entrust this to, even though I knew there were reservations and I knew that he probably wouldn't be happy with a lot of the ways that I led the business and I told him that. But knowing that my ends were pure, you know, that my intent here was pure, was really important. And then the external magic of just all these things conspiring to support this, it was unbelievable. It was hard wow. not to, yeah, it was hard not to make you feel a little more metaphysical about the way the world works and all that. That kind of being open to it, telling the universe kind of what you want to do and what you think you can do and what your highest and best purpose is, and then being brave enough to grab it when it comes by. I give you a lot of credit. I'm so impressed. Well, again, as I said, I think I call it magic, not with false humility. It was pretty magic, the whole thing. <laughs> so take me back to that moment. So you and Greg had this meeting of the minds. There was a lot of trust there. And then you came forward and said, okay, hey, community that has been, that is so passionate and so connected and has been doing things a certain way for a long time, now I'm I'm here at the helm. How did you think about that? I think it's very hard to take over a membership organization or a very strong community, especially you know in kind of the circumstances that you did. What was your thinking, and how did you think about taking over and protecting the integrity of the community, even as you were moving in a new direction? The first thing that was so clear was that. We needed to listen and learn to a tremendous number of constituencies. It's un like you said, there's so much passion around CrossFit. And we know that passion can swing wildly from one side to the other. And I think there was so much disappointment and fear and uncertainty. Fear was the predominant emotion, I think, about because this is an interesting statistic, but over 100,000 people around the world make their living with CrossFit. Don't just love it as the best part of their day when they go into the gym because then you're in the millions. But 100,000 people make their living, but almost none of them work for us, right? They have, mm -hmm. they're part of one of, I mean, there are thousands of different businesses in the CrossFit ecosystem independent of the gyms that there are over 10,000 of. I mean, software companies and apparel companies and supplement companies and medical practices and it goes the list goes on you know food companies the equipment companies the list goes on and on all over the world 
And so all these people were really fearful about what was going to happen next. And they all had very different points of view. And so I needed to listen to as many of them as possible and appreciate the complexity and the nature of this ecosystem. So I went full on crazy talking to people. I mean, I can't tell you how many one-on-one conversations. We immediately set up an email box, eric at crossfit.com. I had to hire three people to help man it. And we set this up before the deal closed, two months before the deal closed, and said like, tell us what you think. We want to hear from you. And every one of those emails was read. It was overwhelming. And then of course, there's all the social media posts. And so it was really listening and learning and piecing together the somewhat of the mosaic. And then the other thing was I tried to be somewhat visible. So we did kind of the first community town hall where I would get on a video conference and and have it open to the press, to everything, and just talk about what was going on and talk with different stakeholders and so on and convened a summit then, which is really hard during COVID to do this in a safe way. But we did about... We had 25 people come in in July into Boulder, you know, in this ballroom that helped 500 people and went very deep on issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion and the future of the gym business in the age of COVID and how would the training business evolve and all these different areas. And so we um, just really tried to have people know we were listening and then follow up with actions and summaries and so on. But I think you're right. There was tremendous risk of, you know, I think the best term that gets used for this is organ rejection, right? Of somebody coming into a founder-led business that people are so passionate about and feel so much ownership in. We were very fortunate to be able to get people on board. It was really, a, to me, it was a testament of the resilience of the community of saying, you know, we're going to give this guy, we don't know, a shot. And I will say, Part of what was super helpful here was the fact that I had owned a gym for eight years and actually opened up four different gyms, including my companies. In that way, was an insider. I wasn't part of the company. I didn't know anything about the way all that worked, but I had my own little microcosm. And it was so clear, I think, to people when they met me that my passion was bringing more health and happiness to people that I came into contact with. There wasn't... I didn't have to fake that you know, or say, wait, what are my talking points today? It's like, no, no, I've been living this. Like This is all I want to do. You've talked about growing globally and also investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion. How are you managing keeping the kind of the historical secret sauce, the way that the things that brought people to CrossFit that is familiar to them with kind of you have this new, a newish vision? How are you balancing those two? Because I think in a membership organization, it's even a little different than other founder-led transitions because all of these people have been brought along not just the employees when you talk about a founder-led business changing, but also all of the members. Yeah. How are you balancing kind of the old school way things have always been with, you know, kind of this new age, new approach that you bring with your joining? I think you have to understand, you have to peel back and say, what do we believe at our core? And again, this is where I had a, I was fortunate to the perspective of a longtime owner of a gym, as well as having gyms at work, you know, that we had, I understood, I think, to my core, it's what drew me in the first place, what CrossFit was at its best. And that was something that, you know, so you have your, you kind of have your North Star then. I had no interest in changing what CrossFit is at its best. We've got that figured out. I want to be there more often. That's a very different model when you think about transformation of a culture or a company. It's one thing to say, look, 
guys, we're just, this just isn't good enough. We've got to change XYZ or this market's not big enough or the world's changed, but there's none of that. I know exactly what CrossFit is at its best and all of us do. That's why we love it so much. It's just, how do we get there more often? How do we deliver that brand promise more often? It's funny because you talk about being an operator and the way you describe the challenge you face is very much of an operational challenge. It's about execution, not about vision, not about brand. It's about... The core vision and the core methodology are very sound. Yeah, we just need to get them to more people and again, be at our best more often. Really interesting. I wonder, peeling back on this question about operations, you're a great operator, right? You've won all these awards for running Data Logics and for running your CrossFit gym. What do you think you bring to CrossFit? You know, I mean, we met at Stanford Business School, we're, you know, business people. What do you think you bring from the business side that is useful in your CrossFit role? And what do you think is different, if anything? I think a lot about stakeholders who's invested in this, and how can we make them successful? That's probably one thing is a certain amount of rigor. I don't want to get into kind of business speak around this and stakeholder already sounds like business speak. And you know, I'm already throwing up around saying that. But I do think, while I do rely a lot on intuition as well, I try to be pretty rigorous in my thinking about who are the stakeholders we care the most about, what matters the most to them. And so I, this is a model that I kind of use for myself. And I taught in classes when I've taught at University of Colorado and so on, the model of stakeholder success and really understanding that by talking to people and then holding yourself accountable and being invested in the success of your stakeholders. And then magic happens because like you said, when people are really part of this membership economy, they're going to line up behind you with their time and resources and money to help because they're so invested in it. But you reciprocate. So I think if I had to pick one thing, that's the big one. So what advice would you have for others who are taking over founder-led businesses, especially those that are coming in at a challenging time or at a moment of great intensity? Well, one of the things that I try to do, again, I'm so kind of people forward in my thinking about kind of these one-to-one connections, is I've met in small groups now, obviously via Zoom, given the time with all of CrossFit's employees, as well as I mentioned, hundreds and hundreds of folks who don't work for us and work in other parts of the ecosystem. And I think there's no substitute for getting the individual stories. Great advice to really focus on the stakeholders, the people that have a stake in the success of your business. And I think, and Robbie, the important thing, I don't want to lose that is this one-to-one thing. I'm all about market research and all about like cohorts and NPS scores and all the rest of it. I believe in all that stuff. But the one-on-one anecdotes, you know, the focus group, et cetera, has been discredited over time. But I will tell you that there's no substitute for that one-on-one connection from the top leader to everyone in the organization. If you really want to send a message and you have to feel this authentically that you actually care, it makes just no substitute. You can't have a surrogate. Yeah. it's What you talked about earlier with CrossFit in general seems like it's also true for you that, you know, the key things, both coaching, the connections, the community, and then that that hard work. I mean, there's no substitute of like going out one-on-one. That's a lot of of hard work. And you know what you just said there, Robbie, is right on, which is, I try to align this way, just to be really authentic and really transparent. So uh, I'll give you just one quick example here, is we put forward CrossFit's mission is to be the world's leading platform for health, happiness, and performance. And so... I then told the team that works for us, that works for CrossFit, we need to also be that within our company 
And we're not that right now, right? We need to be focused on our own health, happiness, the performance of the business, our individual performance. And then my assistant reminded me, Eric, how are you doing on your own health, happiness, and performance? I said, to be honest, I've been a little stressed and overworked since taking this job. <laughs> and so she's doing like this amazing thing with me now, which she initiated. Carice is just awesome. To every day, I have to focus on my own health, happiness, and performance. And I have a accountability to her every day to tell her at the end of the day how it went and how my energy was and you know how much sleep I got. So I think if you can kind of live that and model that authentically up and down the line, then you're just totally in alignment with what you're trying to do, you know? Cheers to Parisa. Yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> we all need a Parisa to keep us honest. <laughs> <do>. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to close out with a speed round. So I'm going to just ask you questions and don't think about it too much. Just okay. whatever pops to mind. What's the best thing about working with you? What would people say? Passion and caring. What's the worst thing about working with you? Intensity, drive, getting excited about a lot of new things. Best piece of advice you've received in the last week? Best piece of advice that I've received in the past week is actually from a professor on stoicism named Bill Irvine. And he talks about the fact that you shouldn't want to make somebody else feel bad for you. And you shouldn't want to make somebody else worry about you. And anyone who would do that, you're just increasing misery in the world. So this notion that you can help people without feeling their pain and you shouldn't want that from other people that they should be sad or upset because of how you feel. Really powerful stuff that just keeps giving to me as I think more about that model. I love that and the power of stoicism as a model. Okay, first subscription you ever had? Uh, Rolling Stone magazine. And your favorite subscription now besides CrossFit? My new medical service. Awesome. Wild Health. Awesome. So thank you so much, Eric, for, for taking the time to, to share your wisdom and your experiences uh, of the past year and also all of the, the accomplishments and the, the great work that you've done over the last many years. Thank you so much for being a guest, Eric. It's a pleasure, Robbie. Thanks for having me. That was Eric Rosa, CEO of CrossFit. You can find out more about CrossFit at CrossFit.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as a transcript of my conversation with Eric, go to RobbieKelmanBaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please take a moment to write a review and give us a star rating. Reviews matter so much in helping others find us. Thanks for your support. And thanks for listening to Subscription Stories. Subscription Stories.